Welcome to Running on Ice, the coolest community and free. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coolest show and freight, but there's also Running on Ice, the newsletter that could not be colder. You can subscribe to that on FreightWaves.com slash Running on Ice. Today, we are joined by the one and only Lucas Shore, founder and CEO of Kestrel Insights. Welcome to the show, Lucas. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Mary. And I wanted to show you to start because I know you're a Lego fanatic. My mom got me this for Christmas. Oh my so gosh. I have the that McLaren is so cool. McLaren Formula One to uh, get to break into here. Um, it started a couple years ago when we were, they all came out to Montana for Christmas and it was like negative 20 degrees. And my mom was like, what are we going to do inside? We got all those. So I will show you a, I'll send you a finished product, but uh, I knew you'd like that one. I cannot wait. I got a, uh, I got the Lego succulents for Christmas. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I've never done the cars though. They always seem kind of like, intimidating for some reason look at your hawk look at your castle i mean that's not true but that was really fun though yeah i think you knock it out but yeah i'll let you know how it goes but yes thank you for having me i appreciate it this is perfect timing i've got a cold spell coming here in montana so i'll be running on ice but uh yeah looking forward to talking today i feel like a montana cold has to be colder than like anyone else's cold just because i don't i just i already picture montana being very cold um so when you say it's cold that means it has to actually be cold it's definitely chilly. Um, I think, I don't know. I think people in the Midwest, I just think they just, they don't brag about it, but I think they go through some spells for most people in the country. We, we definitely get cold, but I don't, you know, I'm sure like a lot of other cold places, it gets chilly, but I like it. I don't mind it. So today we were uh, kind of jumping into some of the geofencing things. Um, but before we get too far into that, let's get some background on you and why you started Kestrel Insights. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I know we're kind of, uh, a funky little data niche here on the geofencing side. Um, so we we really kind of came on the coattails of a lot of the SaaS innovations in the space with the proliferation of the ELD, everything becoming so much more connected. The comfortability with technology and data in the space has just created this all these incredible SaaS solutions. And when there's this gold rush for software platforms, there's often this vacuum created behind them of where data products can kind of come in that really build on their ROI and continue to to build on the value propositions they bring to their customers and all that. And so that's really what happened with us here. Um, location data, tracking, all this incredible focus on on that in the space created this, this ability for a data product like geofencing to build on location data, build on tracking, and just make it even more valuable for, for the end user. And I stole this from one of our customers, Richie Daigle over at Ty, but he has this great view of you know a kind of standard tech stack for someone in in the space today where there's there's hardware software and people so you have your hardware which feeds your software which then gives the people at the end the 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 insights and the data to make the decisions they need. and everything's only as strong as its weakest link so we we have no effect on the hardware but we can really make the software more powerful and give people at the end even better data so that's where we see where we fit is really just this goal of Reducing risk via visibility and kind of where we saw opportunity to uh, to fill a fill a gap in the space. I like that you guys are just the the kind of the the answer that nobody knew that they needed answered, but once they figured out that they needed that answer, you're like surprise, we already exist. Here we are. Yeah, yeah, that, that's actually that's an interesting way to put it because it a lot of our 
genesis was around a lot of education of hey this is just what people thought um you know thought geofencing was this is just not what they thought their options were and so and, you know you think these are the four walls around you then you realize oh my gosh <laughs> there's there's actually a way i can automate this there's a way i can do this more accurately so that's that's really what we do is it's it's our data in your tools. And a lot of people think, oh, you're trying to switch me up on a DLD or something. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want you to move. I don't want you to do anything different. I want to take things off of your plate. If I'm bringing another task to you, I've done something wrong. So that's kind of where we fit. And um, yeah, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great journey. I like that. Um, but like you mentioned, the thing that you guys are known for is that automated geofencing. Can you kind of break that down for those of us who aren't necessarily geofencing pros? Um, and kind of walk us through some of the most applicate most common applications in the cold chain space that you guys are using. Yeah, definitely. So before we kind of dive into cold chain, geofences just for themselves, for any application, they basically provide three simple three simple timestamps: um, arrival, departure, and then time spent within a given geofence. And so we, what we really do, what this process looked like before us was. On any kind of telematics, visibility, anywhere geofences live, you would go through the same process. You type in an address, and then you have the choice of either doing a circular geofence, which is just a circle, or you can hand draw a polygon for that given location. Circles have their own issues just because of the quality of the data they're spitting out. Um, typically, those timestamps are off and can provide either inaccurate or even missed data entirely. So, so polygons are great, but it's a very, very manual process. You know, you're literally hand drawing one at a time. And so we, we brought a solution in the space where you simply type in an address and then that polygon gets matched with the, the location that you need. Um, so that's kind of, that's where we kind of live for what we focus on are really any node of the supply chain. So warehouses, distribution centers, fuel stations, toll roads, anything people want to know, those three timestamps are kind of where we live. So for cold chain, you know, the first thing that kind of comes to mind for a lot of people for cold chain is waste management, loss prevention, especially from spoilage. You know, the very unique difference cold chain is cold. It's, that's like obviously a very, very important part in what, what a major focus is. And so with our geofences, teams are getting really much more accurate and, and timely updates between origin and destination, at origin and destination, just when trucks have truly left or arrived at these different areas you're getting much more accurate data to, to, to make important business decisions on and, and see what's actually happening out there. And I saw an interesting post on LinkedIn today from shout out to my buddy, Jeff Booth over at open doc. And he said, look, and these are these buzzwords I hate. And one of them I think was accuracy on They're Like, okay, what is truly getting more accurate? And so what we, what I think an interesting point that I saw the other day from the national Institute of health was they published an article focused on the actual economic impact of temperature control during food transportation. And one of the interesting points that really stood out to me was they said the quality of perishable food products depends largely on accurate transport and, of course, the maintenance of temperature. We have nothing to do with the temperature, but we can really give teams insight to that accuracy of transport. And I think that's when I say accurate data, it's that insight to what's actually happening in this transportation process, what's going on. So I know Again, software, hardware, people, me as people on the end can make the right decisions, keep things moving and um, deliver a quality product. So that's what we see really in the kind of the cold chain space. Okay, well, I kind of like that. It's the because that that part that you brought up of the the waste specifically that's usually monitored in the cold chain 
is so, so important because I think I read the other day that like 30% of all food in the supply chain is or food like that is put through the supply chain is lost because of improper shipping or the inability to like maintain temperature controls. So like basically before it even gets to the grocery store, like 30% of the possible food that could be consumed is already like wasted because of something throughout the supply chain. So I think that, um, you know, anything that anyone can do to reduce that number is only going to help improve, um, you know, food scarcity and other things like that, that are very real problems facing, you know, people throughout the United States. So I really like that you guys kind of bring some of the answers to that solution because it's, it's not great. Oh man. And it's, I, I do not envy the people who, you know, run businesses moving freight in that, in that space, because I mean, just managing, managing temperature, even if it's all the way to frozen, it's just, it's so difficult. I mean, you see it on anytime someone brings a product to the stage on Shark Tank, if it's movement of cold, with cold, cold goods and services, oh man, they're always like, this is tough. This is tough. It's hard. Um, and so the, you know, cause some people ask, well, what is, what is truly the impact of that accuracy of the geofence? Like, does it really matter that much? I mean, it does. I mean, making sure those steps just follow in sync has a major butterfly effect downstream and, and the accuracy is really, really important. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's a great space. Um, a lot of people doing some great work. I personally am very excited for the future of cold chain because, you know, the, the whole transportation world kind of got a, a quick little facelift and everybody stopped running supply chains or everyone should stop running their supply chains on Excel. And, um, you know, we kind of had all this technology come very quickly. That also means that the cold chain world had that technology come very quickly. And that has been people have been able to make leaps and bounds and strides. And I really think the next five, 10 years, we're going to see some really cool advancements come. Um, and I can't, I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. Um, but jumping back into the geofencing world. Um, so right now you kind of alluded to it a little bit. There's those, um, there's like the circular geofences and then like you can draw a shape around things. But I guess what is kind of the main difference between this kind of automated geofencing that you guys have versus like, you know, the traditional geofencing that when someone says like, oh, yeah, as soon as an ELD comes within X amount of range of this building, we'll know about it. So kind of what is that? uh, What kind of added benefit does that automation come or have? Well, I think it's. And I got I know I got no problem telling customers. Sometimes people get on the phone, they explain what they're doing. I'm like, hey, we're not you don't need us or we're not the right solution for that. So what we're really trying to do is build like just maximize SaaS tool impact and ROI for, for what these teams are investing. You know, if they're investing in their telematics of visibility, what is your use case and how can can either more accurate or more automated geofencing just help help out your business use case. And so from a circular perspective, it's great for mass quantities of locations because you can dump hundreds, thousands of addresses into some of these systems and it will just, it'll geocode them, which basically geocoding means take an address, convert it to a single point on a map. So basically take address, put it to a lat long and then just draw a circle around that. So it's great for mass quantities. It depends on what the, what, what you're actually doing with those geofences because if they're in dense areas, if you have a lot of businesses next door, to make that circle large enough to cover everything you need, you're inherently going to grab roads and neighboring businesses and things like that. So a lot of our customers who have either in dense areas or or are they passing roads and highways, that geofence, if it's a circle, will create inaccurate timestamps. Like if, it, if, it's dri- if a truck's driving down the highway next to 
next to the building, you'll get a ping that, okay, it arrived, but then it all of a sudden left. Did it actually go there? Like what actually happened? So truly just understanding when things got to site, that's where the circles can create a lot of issues. So great for automation, poor for accuracy. So we've had customers come to us for um, maybe oil fields in the middle of Texas where there's nothing for miles. So set your geofence to two mile radius and your, your data is going to be probably good enough for what you're doing. Um, so it really depends on the use case. That's where circles start to break down. For polygons, so very, very accurate. So a polygon, multi-sided shape, you can have it fit the exact sidewalk around an entire DC or whatever you're doing. Um, the problem is you literally have to go one at a time and zoom in on the map and you're clicking and dropping these pins and actually creating that shape. So one of our first customers, uh, a large, large asset-based carrier, they had hundreds of thousands of these and they had, they're like, okay, we'll get a team of interns. They'll crank through these. And they were, I think three or four months into it. And they had been, they had gotten through 60 or 70% of what they needed. And they, the interns were leaving. They hadn't even started maintaining and going back and checking the first ones. So just drawing these is such a burden where it, it, it's a, a horrible misuse of resources and two, it's a real delay to market. Like that seven months that this team didn't have accurate geofences out there, collecting data, providing accurate feedback. So not only is it just the data quality, but it's just time to market and, and, and making sure you're operating every day at to your highest capacity. So for automation, again, our data and your tools are not looking to move anyone around. They basically continue going through the exact same processes they are. So let's say we've got a customer on Motive great telematics partner of ours. Um, they continue to go through, upload locations, do everything they're doing, but then they're done. They go to sleep at night. Our system pulls the addresses, matches them with the Polygon geofences in our system, puts them right back in their system. So they didn't have to do a single thing. They didn't have to draw anything. It basically was the same process as uploading for circles, but they got those polygons. So I, I really encourage teams to just reach out and tell us what kind of use case you got going on. Well, I'll have no problem explaining how we do it, what we do, how and if we can help you and um, highlight some of the use cases and stuff like that. But that's typically the differences we see between circular and between polygon geofences. Kind of going on further down those use cases, what are some of those the, some of those success stories? What kind of um, operational efficiency have some of your customers seen as a result of, you know, obviously not having to sit there for seven months hand drawing um, locations because uh, as someone who doesn't mind an occasional tedious task, um, that sounds weird. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I totally agree. Um, it is funny to say don't mind a tedious task. There's definitely a time and place um, for all of that. And I, it's funny right now at our place where we're putting up a garage and I look out there sometimes and this guy's just, you know, cutting boards, hammering nails. I'm like, oh man, I'd love to do that just for a day. <laughs> just, but you're like, okay, if I needed to do that for an entire apartment complex, that's a big difference. We need some automation here in the construction. So um, in terms of some of these use cases we've seen, um, we've got some great customers with really re- unique and relatable use cases. We have people all over the world, all over the country using these geofences for such a cool array that I, I love talking to them every day. Um, in the cold chain space, um, Tive, Tive is a great customer of ours. They, with a, a lot of customers in cold chain, and and again, we kind of come back to that hardware, software, people connection. Tive, great hardware and software, um, and our geofences just can continue to build on the ROI for their software and their customers, giving the people at the end of the line kind of the best data possible. 
So Tive specifically is a big user of our airport and seaport data sets. So GeoFets is for airports and seaports around the world. Again, and what they saw was really, okay, these are not high risk zones, but typical areas where, you know, there's a change in mode of transportation. So it just adds another element, adds another variable to the system. So making sure when freight is in these areas, they can they can really see and deliver insights to their customers of what's, exa- what's exactly going on. So that's been a great project with them. Um, we've also had customers on Project 44 who, Project 44 has a great kind of uh, report on geofencing accuracy where they, they look at arrival times, departures, stuff like that. And for some of these geofences that these, this team had drawn, they were having real, real low geofence accuracy. And we saw an 80 to 85% increase in geofence accuracy once integrating with us. Because again, they didn't have to look at it. They didn't have to think about it. They just continued to get it at locations in there. And we, we just tie in our database for them because what customers are starting to realize is, yes, they might have, let's say a customer needs 100 Home Depots. They might not even realize that the next customer that comes to them is going to need Walmarts or something else where our database is kind of a central hub for anyone who needs it. So we've already done so many of these locations and worked in so many of these areas that you kind of tap into a kind of a central hub here and you get real good network effect of, hey, I didn't even know I needed those locations, but Tesla's already got them and they've already maintaining them and using them in these other areas. So that's really where we see a lot of impact for our customers is the accuracy and then also kind of just tapping into this this central database for, for them to leverage. I kind of like that you have the, uh, you take all of that hard part out of, you know, you're going to get that accuracy of those, of those polygons, but you're also not going to have to sit there and spend a year or two sitting there mapping them out um, because honestly that sounds horrible in and of itself but the um you also you know you are you kind of are like you know getting getting that data that you need but um honestly just not having to put in a lot of the work uh because also while the polygons are great i feel like the circle the circle geofences like you said that you're working it's going to generate a lot more exceptions. Like when you, like you mentioned, you have like the truck that drives through and, oh, it's checked in, but did it really? And so then that takes out the automation that's supposed to come from geofencing because you're like, well, how did it check in twice or three times or whatever? Then you have to go and kind of monitor it and see, um, you know, how accurate it is. And then you lose a lot of that accuracy. So um, I think that, uh, I think it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. I like that. I like that solution that you guys have of that. Just, just show up. Don't worry. We'll take care of it. No, definitely. And, and you, you touched on a really good point there of, you know, do they want to draw these for two years or whatever it is? And one of the biggest things we tell our customers is we love this. I mean, this is like why we started the company. We're like, we love GIS data. We love mapping. We just, we love the concept of it. That's why we were so drawn to it. And we tell our customers, did, why did you start your companies? Why do you work at your companies? What is the mission statement for your companies? No one has ever responded to it. Geofencing. We're a geofencing company. We're a geofencing database, which I get. And that's what I want to hear them say, because that's what we are. That's what we do. Like if the geofences play such an important part for all of our customers, that's why they're coming to us and they feed the geofences and the data they spit out feed so many other features and products within their platform. So it's obviously important, but it's not like, okay, I want to, I want a team dedicated internally to doing this. It's like, let's, let's, let's integrate with Kestrel. Let's get off and run. Let's get back to our core competency and, and what we do as a, as a platform. And this might be a good time to talk about it. Let me know if you have another question, but 
kind of the difference between our software customers and kind of some of our direct end users. And I can I can elaborate on how people integrate with us and how they get data. If now's a good time. I think that that's something you brought up something that's really important of um you know, it's something that we've talked about um, on the, some, on another show, Truck Call, um, is that, you know, look at your business model because we've talked about it in like that in age-old debate of do you buy or build your own technology? Well, if look at your core competencies, what is it that you're doing as a business? Are you a technology provider or are you something else that you, you know, because if you're not a technology provider, it doesn't necessarily make sense to build your own thing. So like you said here, it doesn't make sense for someone that makes really good brownies and is just working on making sure that their brownies and cookies and baked goods are getting to where they need to be. Why would you spend all of your time and resources doing this when in reality it's not actually creating any value or helping you kind of grow revenue within your organization, especially if there's a service out there that you can just hire to do it for you and you can get back to, you know, coming up with the next coolest pastry. Mm-hmm. No, you're spot on. You're spot on. I've got a, uh, I got a good buddy here in town who he owns a restaurant and um, makes great food, great dishes, customer service, all that's good. Beef is an input to a lot of dishes, but he's like, I don't want to raise cattle. I don't want to be a cattle rancher, but I need beef. So like, it's like, yes, I could go off and probably start a ranching operation, but it's like, well, I don't. That's not my core competency. I love restaurants. I love customer service. I love you know, that whole aspect. Um, so it's a. Uh, that's probably one of the oddest, most Montana-relatable um, analogies they've ever used on your show. But um, it's, a, uh, it's very real for exactly what we do. But I mean, it's true across all businesses, you know, because the second you start focusing on those things that aren't necessarily core to your business, everything else is going to suffer. Like if he was a if he became a cattle rancher instead of a, a restaurateur, then, you know, suddenly there wouldn't be as much time for him to devote to the rest of the recipes and the customer service and everything like that, everything else starts to suffer. So that's why just stick with what you're good at and, you know, hire experts for a reason, just like, you know, oh, you can build a house, but you would still probably hire professional carpenters to build you a house because it's their job. Yeah, no, absolutely. I could probably go out there, spend a year doing it. And then, well, what would happen to my company? Like, you know, like, exactly. You got, you got to give and take uh, until someone invents that time machine where you can jump in it and put everything else on pause. But um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So we are running out of time, but there's one question that everyone that comes on the show has to answer. And it might be the hardest question you get today. Are you ready for it? Yes. Is cereal considered a soup? Is cereal considered a soup? Um, Oh, that's interesting. I am going to go... Oh, I can already see my process and fallacy of my argument here. I'm going to say no, but because my, my art, my, for me, I think I see soup as, I see, oh, this is actually funny for this conversation, as a temperature thing. And I know there's cold soups like gazpacho and stuff. I hate those. I don't like cold soups. I don't consider those soups. I don't know what I would call them, but um, I'm going with no. <laughs> I like it. As someone that also doesn't see cereal as soup, I, every time somebody says no, it's like a, it's a win for me um, because you know, it's just, it's just not, you know, it's not, they're, they're, they're fundamentally different aisles of the grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. This is very true. This is very true. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with that. Now I'm going to think about that all day though. <laughs> My wife's a nutritionist, so I'm going to forget out of the fair later when she gets back to, what'd you do all day, Lucas? Let me tell you. <laughs> so if someone wants to take on your hot soup opinion, or if they have their own questions about geofencing, where can they find you outside the show? 
Yeah, absolutely. Find us on our website, KestrelInsights.com. I'm very responsive on LinkedIn as well. Um, and I know we dove into a lot of like the SaaS integrations. We have flip of the switch, turnkey integrations with tons of telematics and visibility where there is no technical lift at all. So make sure to reach out for us on those and uh, we'll get you going. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on YouTube or anywhere else you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more Running on Ice news? No sweat. Subscribe to the newsletter on FreightWaves.com slash Running on Ice. See you on the internet. Thank you.